0: Well, good, good morning, and welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. We gather here in the presence of Almighty God to come and to worship, to respond to who God is and to God's goodness to us in Christ. And uh, as we begin, just want to take a couple minutes to share some announcements. Uh, just as, as the last couple of weeks I mentioned that you know, we're back to using our Order of Worship booklets, and so you'll see information about the service um, in the front page there and that, about children's classes. And there is one note that it says here that... Uh, Masks are optional, but we changed that just, just yesterday or on Friday. So we're asking everybody to wear a mask while they're in the church building. Um, but there are classes you'll see for uh, kids uh, during the service listed there. Also, if you go all the way to the back of the book, you'll see a list of announcements. And I just want to highlight a couple things. Um, one, we have some August events coming up. It's August 1st, and so we have an all-church uh, cookout on the 10th uh, in the Greco's Backyard and also a backyard concert on the 18th. And so uh, we'd love for you to be able to come to that and be part of that would be a great time to connect and spend time together outside. And so hopefully you can can join us. Um, There's also some information here about volunteering, about ways to get involved, also about small groups and other kind of group ministries that are restarting in the fall. So take a look and let me know if you have questions. Uh, Also, um, yeah, just let me know if you have any questions. joining us as a visitor today thank you for joining us we're glad that you're here and glad that we can gather here in person but also those who are online welcome to you Uh, this time the kids that are going to be part of the preschool class and the in the children's worship class they can head to the back of the sanctuary melinda is there to meet them and they can go down to the basement uh, for their classrooms those classes will go the the full length of the service and end the same time uh, the worship service does Well, God calls us to come and to worship so let's take a moment of quiet to prepare ourselves to come before God
1: good morning Our call to worship today is from Psalm 32. Will you stand with us and we'll sing it together.
0: withered away, for your hand was heavy on me day and night, but then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my guilt.
1: Happy are they whose sins are forgiven.
0: let the godly make their prayers to you in the time of trouble, while you may be found. And surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not rise over us. give you thanks and acknowledge that you are the creator of all things heaven and earth and we give you thanks because not only are you the creator but you're the one who has recreated us and called into our lives to to come to you you've entered into our lives finding us wherever we had wandered off or wherever we would be calling us home in christ and so lord as we gather we remember you, and we pray that in the midst of our responsibilities, the calls upon our life with work or family and friends, neighbors, the many tasks or pressures that we feel even in this moment. Lord, let this time be one in which we remember by your Spirit who we are, who we are, those made in the image of God, loved and valuable because of you. To remember who we are, not just that we're created in your image, but that you have come to us to justify the ungodly, to cover all of our sins, to bring a joy and a happiness that no one else can take away because you have become our refuge, forgiving us and receiving us as your children. Lord, we pray that as we feel the different calls upon our life and different movements happening in us or around us, that we would be resting on this truth. You are our creator and our redeemer. Let it be from there that we know ourselves and go forth into our families and into our work, into the lives before us. Lord, we pray for your church, not just here at Lincoln Square, but throughout our city and country and world. Let, we, let us be a people who know our, your grace and extend it to one another and to our neighbors. Let us be those who proclaim the good news of Christ with special care for the weak and the poor and those in need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we can continue worshiping through a time of confession and assurance, this is a chance for us to come before God with honesty, remembering God is holy and that we are not, and that it's right for us to come and ask for his grace and mercy. So we'll do this together and then have a time of silent personal confession. So I invite you to join with me. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In humility and faith, let us confess our sin to God. Lord, we are prone to forget your promises. We are prone to see only ourselves and to live as though you, O Lord, are powerless in the face of our circumstances. Give us eyes to see that you are always at work, and that nothing can separate us from your love. Amen. I invite you to take the time of personal, quiet confession. Lord, we thank you that you hear us when we pray, and we thank you for the promise in Christ, the wonderful promise that your grace is greater than our sin. We give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand with me and that we can say together these words of assurance that remind us of God's grace to us in Christ. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world.
2: The Old Testament lesson is from Deuteronomy Nine One through Six. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go into dispossessed nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that he who goes over you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you, so you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you, and that he may confirm the word that the Lord, that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. The gospel lesson is from John six twenty-two through 29. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thankful for a chance to gather together and look at God's Word together. We're going to look at a passage from Romans as we continue to reflect on a sermon series on the the benefits of Christ or the benefits of our redemption. I want want to start by uh, sharing a story I saw about the Olympics recently. It's been a little while back, but the starting of the story was many Olympians don't want to carry their country's flag in the opening ceremony. So that caught my attention. Many Olympians don't want to carry their country's flag in the opening ceremony. And it goes on, it says, It's considered a huge honor to be chosen as flag bearer, but many decline it. Why? Because it's too stressful. It's too much attention and pressure as the athletes are trying to focus on what's before them. But many of them said it's also because it's physically exhausting. I don't, I've never really thought about this, I haven't carried a flag for, you know, for many hours, but I guess you know, if you're the flag bearer, for three or four hours, often in warm, warm weather, you carry something heavy, something important that you have to give attention to. And I, I thought this especially was interesting that the article said that in this year, the US flag bearers, there's two of them, they're sharing the duty, and they were given specially designed cooling jackets, specially designed cooling jackets so they don't get overheated were dehydrated during the event. So that's something to pay attention to. <laughs> well, I know that many of us, you know, many of us are not Olympic athletes, so why do I mention that? Well, I mention it for us to think about the idea of carrying something that is important, but might be heavy. We're being asked to carry many things. And so I mention as a way to start that illustration, for us to think about the things that we carry. What things do we carry? I imagine some of which we wish that we could put down and others that we're glad to carry. What things do you carry? One of the ways the scripture talks about the human experience is to talk about this idea of burdens, of being asked in this life to carry things. And one way to think about our human experience is to name the different burdens that are upon us. As I said, some good, or some that are not so good. And Scripture tells us that all humans, one thing we share in common, that all of us carry the weight of sin and shame. We carry the burden of the fear of being truly seen and known. And we all carry this struggle to know what to do With these things that so often feel heavy trying to figure out how to get rid of them where is our specially designed cooling jacket right well I don't have a cooling jacket for you but I do think that we can look at the scriptures to offer us this promise that's called justification not that it removes all the challenges or burdens of this life but it does speak to when Jesus says come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. A significant part of that rest is what Scripture calls justification, that this burden of shame and guilt, this burden of being alone to carry such things, is lifted. For justification speaks not of our work or our strength, but of God lifting from us all of our sin. And not doing that only, but calling us His beloved, and righteous children, and welcoming us, those who are alone, estranged, to carry these things on our own, welcoming them to himself. This is the good news of Christ, and that's what our passage is about today. So let's look at Romans 4, 1 through 8, that invites us to think about this gift of justification. You could follow in your order, or just listen as I read. What then, shall we say, was gained by Abraham his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. This is God's word given for our good. Well, as we think about the meaning of justification and this gift and how it speaks to the things that we carry, Our passage offers two questions, and the sermon will be looking at those two questions. The first one is, what shall we say about Abraham? And the second, what shall we say about Abraham's family? See, our passage opens with this first question. What shall we say about Abraham? What did he gain by his flesh? And what that saying means is, what did he accomplish by his own efforts, by his own carrying things, by his own work? See, Paul brings up Abraham because he is the father of Israel, the beginning of the covenant family, the people of God. And so he's asking, so what about him? He must be very strong, right? And see, Paul begins by offering the wrong conclusion. Abraham was justified. He was accepted before God by what he did, by what he accomplished or what he could handle. But then Paul quickly gives two thoughts about why this is the wrong path. This will not take us where we want to go. First, if it was so, then Abraham could boast, and no one can boast before God. And second, Paul appeals to the Scripture, citing Genesis 15. Abraham didn't do something for God. Rather, he believed. He trusted in God's promise, and it was counted to him as righteousness. I don't know about you, but I can sometimes forget That Abraham was a real person, (laughs) not just some kind of symbol in the Bible. He was a real person, and he, along with his wife Sarah, knew well the caring of things. Knew well fears and uncertainty, shame and frustration. Knew well his own shortcomings and longing. So we can reflect just for a moment on his life. God called Abraham to... Leave his home. Leave your home, leave all your people, everything you know, and Ur. Abraham didn't know where he was going, but God promised to show him another land that would become home. And God promised to give him a large family, and through him and his family to bless all the nations of the earth. The problem is that Abraham and Sarah were barren unable to have children, and they were growing old. But Abraham traveled. He left home and went to this land, and God's promise became more specific as Abraham traveled, identifying the land as Canaan, and declaring again that through he and his wife Sarah, although childless, that their children will be more numerous than the stars in the sky and the dust of the earth. When Abraham and Sarah were well past childbearing years, God confirmed again this promise. See, God was showing them over and over again, showing them that the promise, that this blessing to them and to to their family and to the nations of the earth did not rest in their strength, did not rest in their power to make a home, a child, a family, a legacy. It did not rest in these things but it rested in the faithfulness and the power of God. And Paul reminds us here that Abraham believed in his powerlessness, in his weariness, in his waiting. He trusted the promises of God. And what does Scripture say? That Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteous. This is the first place in the Bible that the word believe occurs. Accepting that what someone says is true, living in light of it, trusting it. And Abraham does so. running back to the question that Paul started, what about Abraham? What about the one who started the family? He must be very strong. And of course he was, but his strength was in the Lord. Not in his own power, not in his ability to carry things. It was rooted always in the power of God. So Abraham is the beginning of the covenant family, the people of God. So when Paul brings Abraham up, it leads to the natural second question of our passage, but what about his family? What is his family like? What are the people of God like? And the second half of our passage is moving from Abraham in particular to general statements about what this is like to be part of God's covenant. What is it like? And there's a couple points He makes. God counts or credits one's faith as righteousness. To count or to credit something is a financial term, to put something into someone's account. And Paul quickly highlights what we know. There's two ways to have things come into your account one could be a wage, or it could be a gift. If a person works, the credit is a matter of obligation, right? We know, we know when we work, when we, we receive some kind of payment, that it wasn't just a gift. We did something to get that. It's owed. It isn't a gift. But in contrast to a wage, there is a gift, something it's not earned. It's freely given. And God grants Abraham his favor, declaring that he is in the right And what we're invited to see is that this is the story of God's family. For all of us who know the weight of our sin and shame, who know the challenge of carrying such things and asking what to do with them, here is the path. In the covenant family, God reckons to those who believe a new status. Not something earned, but received. This is what Martin Luther famously called the great exchange our union with Christ, our marriage to Christ, our entrusting ourselves to Him, that Christ takes upon Himself all of us, all of who we are, all of our unrighteousness, all of our brokenness, everything that we see and carry, but also that Christ not only takes it, but He is our married partner, gives everything of Himself to us. His righteousness, His standing, His wealth, This is the gift of God's people. And the second thing for us to see within this family is that we know who God is. Do you see how God is described? We have faith in the one who justifies the ungodly. If you want to hold on to a summary of your faith, a summary of the gospel, what things can help you when you feel the burden of the things you carry? Who is God? He is the one who justifies, makes righteous the ungodly, the wicked, the wanderer, the sinner. This is a profound thing that we have to remember over and over again because it's too good to be true, right? That the one who's created all things, the Holy One, is the one who makes the ungodly righteous. Forgiving us all of our sins and welcoming us to himself as fully accepted. Fleming Rutledge, she has a book called The Crucifixion, and she reflects on this gospel summary, the summary of who God is who starts this family. I think it's worth us hearing, she writes, that we live in a culture where we always want there to be an inner circle or an elite, and that Christianity is vulnerable to this as well a spiritual elite, those who are somehow better or more fully acceptable. And to speak of an elite means that there is something about us, our capacity, that makes redemption possible. There's something about us, our ability, that somehow determines the possibility of our acceptance. Do you hear that? there's somehow a way that there's some of us who are a little bit better or more appealing to God. And she goes on to say, but the Christian gospel is different. There are no elite. The Christian gospel is different. There are no elite. It is inclusive for every human being. The cross slices away the distinction that we like to make between the godly and the ungodly. The cross nullifies all distinctions, she writes. There are not some who can carry and some who cannot. No one can carry the burden of their guilt and shame. No one can set themselves at rest. But Jesus offers himself the expression, the means of God justifying the ungodly, Jesus carries our sin, bears our guilt, and on the cross he was crushed by our ungodliness. And this is the good news that whoever we are, that all of us, Jew or Gentile, high or low, rich or poor, those who have it together, are those who do not, our place in the family is the same. Every, Every day, at every moment, our place in the family is the same. Our acceptance rests in the grace of God for us. And so today, as you think about the things that you're carrying, the weariness, or as you feel shamed or overwhelmed by the sin, remember, God is the one who justifies the ungodly. And your place in his family, now and forever, is by your faith in Christ, the one who carries your burdens. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are, a good God who has rescued your people. We thank you for the wonder that it's not by us being elite or somehow acceptable that we find our way to you or by our works or accomplishments. But thank you for the good news and the gift that you make us righteous by your grace, forgiven and accepted in Christ. We thank, give you thanks and pray that this good news will lift, us, lift our heads today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Will
1: you stand with us, please, and we'll sing together.
0: Almighty God, you created heaven and earth, made us in your image, and kept covenant with us, even when we turned away and fell into sin. We give thanks and ask that you, our Heavenly Father, save us and keep us in this world of wandering. And now we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. God's Word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for His people. If you are participating in communion, this time we're using these prepackaged elements, so I invite you to go ahead and prepare those. Does anybody who's taking communion need one? Uh, Will can help pass them out if anyone needs one. Just raise your hand. Okay, great. If you're not participating in communion today to the bread and the cup, I invite you to reflect and see this sign of this broken bread and this cup that speaks of Christ's blood, that they point to who God is, to the nature of the family that God has created. For this table table is the family meal of God. Therefore, if you know of your sin and have placed your faith in Christ, found your justification in Him, then you are invited to come and participate as one accepted as part of God's family. This table is a beautiful table that reminds us of the truth that God justifies the ungodly. We don't come with our promises or all the things that we've accomplished. We come with empty hands in that regard. But we do come bearing things. We're bearing our worries, bearing our sin, our trespasses, our hurts and brokenness. And Christ invites us to bring them to come. For He came to receive such things and through his broken body and cup, his shed blood, to bring redemption and healing, forgiveness, to declare us his righteous brothers and sisters, children of God. This is the good news of this table. As we participate, let it be an encouragement to us, and let us go forth as those, not as the elite, but as those who love our neighbors with humility and grace. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this table. We pray, Lord, you set apart this bread and cup and that your spirit would be here to minister to us. We thank you, Lord, that you are here and we ask that you would bring forgiveness to those of us who feel overwhelmed with shame and guilt. That you would speak of your loved, of your faithful, steadfast love to all those of us who feel like wandering or feel alone or unseen. That you would speak of your redemption, of your wholeness for all of us who know the brokenness that we feel lord meet us wherever we are by your grace that we may walk with you in newness of life as your people in jesus name we pray amen on the night that he was betrayed jesus took the bread and broke it saying this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. And Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. I invite you to stand with me that we can respond to this table and receive God's blessing. Lord Jesus, you were tempted in every way as we are, yet you did not sin. Through our union with you, give us grace to triumph over evil and to live no longer for ourselves, but for you. Fill us with your spirit as we proclaim the mystery of faith. God's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Go in peace.